Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And of course, uh, as we have been doing all week, we are preparing for the return of Deshaun Watson. On Sunday, he will return to Houston, uh, where he will play his former team, the Texans, his first game as a Cleveland Brown. And today I wanted to spend a little time uh, discussing kind of what's at stake for some various Browns people. Uh, as as Deshaun Watson comes back. And this isn't just necessarily in the six games. This is sort of like, now that Deshaun Watson is a quarterback, what's at stake um, for for certain people in the organization to, to kind of make this thing work or if it doesn't work? I, I stole this idea from our Ohio State guys who did something similar uh, for the Ohio State-Michigan game. So I guess I'll just go through some names here. And let's just start with, let's do Kevin Stefanski. What's at stake, Mary Kay, for Kevin Stefanski? Again, not necessarily in the next six games, but just over the next like year and a half, let's say, now that Deshaun Watson is back. What, what does he need to do and what's at stake for him to, to kind of prove he's the guy? Well, it, you know, when you have a $230 million man, he is obviously your financial investment going forward. So you have to be able to demonstrate and prove over the next, um, you know, year and a half or so, again, not these last six games, but over the next year and a half or so that you are the right play caller for him. I think that's vitally important. You have to show that you can bring out uh, the best in, in Deshaun Watson. You have to show that you can call the kind of uh, game that showcases his strengths and, and that, you know, that you can help him maximize his very versatile and elite talents and abilities. So, that's incumbent upon Kevin Stefanski to be able to do that. Now, if he doesn't do that for some reason, I don't think it means the end of Kevin Stefanski. They're committed to him. They love him. They feel like they finally have alignment in their organization from Paul DePodesta, Andrew Barry, Kevin. They like this plan. So they love this plan, actually. So, um, so if for some reason that doesn't happen the way uh, that it should uh, then then maybe you find somebody else who can give you a boost offensively and help you figure some things out that way. But I, I just don't think it puts Kevin on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination. So, so that's interesting, Ashley. So this idea that Kevin could maybe not be the guy who should be calling plays, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not the guy to be leading this team. Right. And I mean, the play calling question, I think, has been 
especially last year, it felt like that was something we talked about a lot more. Um, but it, it has been consistent now over the past couple of years and, and asking him about that and questioning whether he should be the guy to do that. So I'm with Mary Kay. Like, I don't at all think his job is, is at stake, especially this season. Um, I do think what's, what's really important kind of along those lines is that he, they can see that he is learning how to call a game for with Deshaun Watson as quarterback. I know Mary Kay asked him about that yesterday in his Monday press conference. And it is true. Like there are, you know, certain things about every quarterback with and a play caller that like you have to learn how to work together and what that quarterback does well in certain situations, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what they're successful at, what they're not successful at. So I do think it's more about that and and like the play calling specifically, what that looks like with Deshaun, what other pieces he may need, you know, on this offense um, for them to acquire in the offseason just to like get Deshaun working as efficiently as possible, I think. Now, Mary Kay, is, I mean, is there a scenario though where we could get to next, to like next year and it's like, no, this just isn't the guy, period. Not not just as a play caller. Or is that like, in your mind, just off the table? I think it's off the table. I think it's off the table. I think the organization is absolutely uh, thrilled with Kevin Stefanski. I think just exactly what Andrew Barry said uh, at, at the bye week when he said they feel just as strongly about him now as they did when they hired him. I think that all holds true. And I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think I think they want stability in this organization from every aspect of the organization. And I just don't I just don't see that happening. Uh, again, if they feel like they need something else to happen offensively, they'll they'll reevaluate that. And they'll have some good data by, you know, the end of this six weeks. So, um, you know, certainly it's it's something to keep an eye on. But I just don't think Kevin's going anywhere. Okay, so the next person here on the list is the person who actually made the deal, and that is GM Andrew Barry. Um, I think there's two prongs to this, because, Ashley, when you think about this, this is one of the biggest trades in NFL history, and certainly the biggest trade in Browns history. Um, and Andrew Barry is sort of tied to how this whole Deshaun Watson thing plays out, but also... I think the bigger element to this is his ability to build a team around Deshaun Watson more so than just because I think we're all assuming this Deshaun thing is going to work eventually, but the ability to put that team around him that can go and win a Super Bowl, I think is kind of what's on the line here for Andrew. Right. And I mean, especially given the recent conversations that we've had around Andrew Barry as a GM, right. And, And talking about this season and, some of the failures of this season, I think we're all kind of in agreement that some of these draft picks from 2020, 2021, this year, even, you know, even though it's a little early, do have some question marks by them. You know, there are definitely guys he, he hit on like Donovan Peoples-Jones, great pickup in the sixth round. You know, Martin Emerson looks like he's the real deal. The more and more we watch him play, but it's a lot of these like mid round guys who in a lot of instances, like, those third round guys you still expect to contribute at like the starter level um, and be consistent. And we just aren't seeing that from some guys, you know, guys like Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togia, Jacob Phillips, like those, those type of players. Um, but I do think, you know, it does, this is going to be a big test because again, it kind of goes along to my last point of, of them seeing what this looks like and seeing what Deshaun needs, because like you've put all of this into getting him money, 
the future of your franchise and draft picks, um, the controversy for getting a player who had 20 plus sexual misconduct allegations on your team. And if you're going all in, which they did, you have to like be no holds barred, I think, and make the roster decisions that are going to make him successful. Mary Kay, how much is Andrew Barry's? I, actually, let me ask this. Is Andrew Barry under more pressure than Kevin Stefanski? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, You know what? I think it's an organizational decision. I think that they were all so involved in it together. I don't think that, you know, Andrew went off on his own and decided to sign Deshaun Watson. I think they gave it a lot of thought. I think Paul DePodesta, their chief strategy officer, uh, was very, very involved in this decision. I think the Haslams were very involved. I think they all put their heads together and decided that they needed an elite quarterback to get to the Super Bowl and that they uh, were all in agreement that they were willing to take this enormous risk together. So I don't think that Andrew Barry is going to have to take the fall for this if it doesn't work out. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening either. I think it's um, I think it's just something that uh, everyone would have to be accountable for. So for Andrew, is it just more about um, like what he can build around Deshaun? Like if we get, I mean, I mean, we can even play this out over two or three years if we're sitting here saying, man, he still needs like another receiver or. Uh, you know, the offensive line fault, whatever happens, like if Andrew is unable to kind of put that team around him, is, is that more what it's about for him? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't think this decision, this Deshaun Watson decision will fall squarely on Andrew Barry's shoulders. Now, again, he has to build the rest of the team. It's got to be strong. It's got to be right. I've said uh, several times, I think they need at least one more Pro Bowl caliber receiver. And that's just this year. Um so, and, you know, I think that, you know, they could use a few other pieces and they're going to have to keep doing the best they can to add to the team when they don't have first round picks again next year or the year after. So it will be a little bit of challenging uh, to add that some elite talent, uh, but there are ways to do it and they have found ways. So I, you know, I think, yes, they have to continue to um, build up the supporting cast, but in the event that something isn't working out, I think they just, they just need to find a way to make it work out, whether they have to, uh, you know, find things in-house or people in-house that can help solve the issues or the problems or whether they need to go outside and get some consultants to help them. I mean, sometimes you need to do that. So I think I think everyone will come out OK in the end on this. OK, so the big one is D and Jimmy Haslam. Uh, the, the two people that certainly can't get fired, um, but they they would be the ones making any decisions along those lines. Mary Kay, are they the ones who kind of put themselves out there the most of anyone, do you think, in making this deal? Well, obviously, they had to sign off on it and they had to be the ones that opened up the purse strings and gave him the money that actually brought him here for 200 and $30 million. So now if for some reason this whole thing doesn't work out, um, and, and one of the ways that I think, I mean, the, probably one of the only only ways that I think it wouldn't work out is if the off-the-field issues somehow take him down. That's the only way that I see this happening, is if things, you know, something comes out of the woodwork, some unforeseen thing happens that just kind of causes this thing to blow up. 
Um, barring something like that, I, I really think this is probably going to work out. But certainly, um, you know, the Haslam's, they definitely had so much to do with this. this. They didn't have to be talked into this. They were all about this. Um, so they would have to look at themselves in the mirror and ask them, you know, what their role was in this and um, and hold themselves accountable if it doesn't work out. That's why I don't think that Andrew Barry would end up being the fall guy. So, Ashley, um, obviously with the owners, that's that's trickier, right? Like we know what it looks like if it's not it doesn't work for Kevin Stefanski, right? He's out the door. Or same with Andrew Barry. The owners are different. They're not going to just turn around and sell the team. Um, but but I guess for me, it's just, you know, the trust in the Haslam's has always kind of ebbed and flowed, I think. And I think it was fairly high when they brought brought in Kevin and brought back Andrew. Is that sort of what's at stake here for them? Is just sort of, you know, the final straw for this fan base? I mean, maybe, but like you said, it has ebbed and flowed over the years, right? So, like, never say never. I mean, I think they are inextricably tied to this trade now for the rest of time, regardless of what happens uh, with Deshaun Watson and his future in Cleveland. But, yeah, like you said, it is tricky to, like, talk about what's at stake for them because it's not like they can just be fired. Like, that's not how owning an NFL team works. So it really is like the reputation and how they're thought of among the fan base. Um, and like you said, that's been back and forth and ebbed and flowed over the years. I think there's a lot of fans who are really mad at them right now. And there's a lot of fans who are happy with this decision. I think if it doesn't work out though, that that's just going to be, it, it's going to be coming from all sides because again, you put the fan base through all this um, to okay this deal, to make this deal happen. You pay him historic money and we talked about this in the preseason you know I think this the for it to be considered a successful trade you have to win a Super Bowl with him like that's what's at stake yeah Mary Kay if Deshaun Watson ultimately does lead this team to a Super Bowl over these next four years Mm -hmm. um do you think that the fans will kind of look upon the Haslam's I mean obviously they will look upon them favorably if they win a Super Bowl that's kind of a dumb question but I mean will it sort of change how some fans maybe view this move well I think yes I think that would have a tremendous impact on how some fans view this move and I think time heals okay time heals a lot of things and and this is a forgiving town And there are a lot of people that are very upset about the fact that the Haslam's brought Deshaun Watson onto this football team. But in the event that Deshaun Watson atones for his uh, mistakes, makes restitution, does things in the community and wins a Super Bowl, I think a lot of people could possibly then get behind a move that so many are against right now. Uh, I think it, it is a town that uh, as I said, it's forgiving. I think people do deserve second chances. And um, and let, let's see what happens here with Deshaun Watson going forward. Let's see if all of the counseling and the treatment that he just underwent, uh, you know, let, let's see if he if things have changed. And if he is a different person and not the one uh, that had anything to do with what went on in those rooms and he wins, then I think that um, that will go a long, long way 
uh, towards the perception of this move. And I don't think that the Haslam's, even if it doesn't work out, they're not selling the team. So, you know, they're here to stay. Uh, and as you guys mentioned, it's more a reputation thing. I mean, it's not like if it fails, they're they're going to say, okay, that's it. Forget it. You know, we're, we're going to sell the team now. We, you know, we messed this whole thing up and, and we don't belong here. That's not going to happen. So Mary Kay, you, you kind of went down this road a, a little bit when it comes to um, Deshaun Watson, of course. You know, we know he hasn't played in since 2021. Um, I'm sorry, since 2020. Uh, January 3rd, 2021 was his last game. Um, we obviously know all the background here, but you mentioned it. It seems like there are things Deshaun can do to maybe make amends for, for this stuff. And obviously, you know, the Browns giving him $230 million guaranteed certainly rubbed some people the wrong way, and that makes sense. Uh, the way the Browns went about this, the way Deshaun has addressed this and talked about it, certainly hasn't helped himself much. But can Deshaun, over the next five years, kind of rescue himself from this beyond just, you know, the, hey, go win us football games? Yes, I think so. I think it's going to take work. And I, I felt this from day one, uh, that he was going to have to really work hard to rehabilitate himself in the eyes of the community, in the eyes of the nation, in the eyes of women's groups, in the eyes of his accusers. And I think that, um, you know, maybe he learned a lot in these 11 weeks when he had, had to undergo uh, all of, of this treatment and all of these services that he's, he's had to go through and all these appointments and all of the therapy. Uh, if he can demonstrate that he's not anymore who he was. Now, he doesn't think he did anything wrong, or at least to this point, he hasn't admitted that he has done anything wrong. But I, I think if he can get to the point where he can say to people, I made some mistakes. Um, I didn't realize at the time, you know, the gravity of these actions. Um, but my eyes have since been open to, you know, why there was such a disconnect between me and these accusers. And now I understand and um, or whatever the case may be. I think if he can show that he has changed and grown and he has learned, and then that he also goes the extra mile in many ways in terms of community service, you know, working with, you know, women's groups, donating money, you know, wh whatever he's got to do. I do think there is a road back for him. Uh, in the eyes of people that right now uh, do not believe that he is a good person. I, I think that there is a path forward, um, but it's going to take work. It's going to take work. And I also just think it's going to take, um, you know, just on his part, he's go going to probably have to admit wrongdoing at some point, right? I mean, he's, he's going to have to say, you know, yeah, I, I now realize what I did. I mean, if he doesn't do that, then I don't know if anybody's ever going to take him seriously, that he's not going to do anything like that again. Yeah, Ashley, I, th I think I agree. I mean, there's always going to be, there's going to be a segment of people who are just about the football. There's going to be a segment of people that just want nothing to do with Deshaun Watson. Um, but I, I do think there is a path forward for him with everyone else, I, I think Mary Kay touched on a lot of the things that, that he needs to do, and it probably does start with him at some point showing a little more empathy and a little more, again, maybe just admitting, like, I, you know, I put myself in situations I shouldn't have been in at, at, at the least admitting to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, I mean, I think we saw the pseudo-apology, I'll call it that, in the pregame broadcast for the Jacksonville game, or, or what was, I guess, interpreted by many who saw it as an apology. But then after that suspension decision came down, um, and we had him in that media scrum outside at the practice facility, and it it seemed, I think, I think it was taken as like a walking back, but I know we talked about, like, maybe that original apology, quote-unquote, wasn't exactly what people were thinking it was. Um, but he was very, again, I think took more of a defiant tone. And I think that's kind of the what we've heard from him consistently. And it's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So I think that's certainly an aspect to all of this that people are really turned off by the fact that they feel like there's been no admitting of, hey, I screwed up, like no real accountability taken. And I think that's very valid. I think Mary Kay makes some, you know, very valid points. Look at other guys in this league who, you know, it's the the scope of the allegations against Deshaun Watson. I think we have to be really careful to not compare them to anyone else because this is very unprecedented to me and I don't think it's fair. Um, But there have been other players in this league who have gotten in trouble, who have had sexual misconduct or sexual assault allegations or domestic violence allegations, abuse allegations, who have done these things and have come back throughout their careers. Um, so I do think like in a few years, that's definitely not off the table, but it's going to take a lot of work from him. And, and we haven't quite honestly seen that yet. And I think part of that is we're so early in this process and so early of him being here in Cleveland, but this is very like nuanced, like you're saying, Dan. And I think there are definitely just people who, who have made up their mind one way or the other, and they might not change it right now. Um, but there are, I think, you know, down the road, there is a possibility that that could change. But I would argue what's at stake for him is more like with this off the field stuff than on the field. All right. Uh, there we go. Our, uh, what's at stake for everyone involved? Um, you know, as I think you've picked up, this is still a very complicated discussion to have uh, regarding Deshaun Watson. So we're going to hear from him at some point this week. Of course, he will return to Houston as well on Sunday. So um, we will cover all of that uh, as he returns to the football field from an on the field side of it and also an off the field side of it. So uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to balance all of that for uh, the listeners out there. Now on the other side of the break, we are going to talk just football. Lance Riceland is going to join and he's going to look back and share his thoughts on Jacoby Brissett's final start and what he saw in the Browns win over Tampa, Mary Kay and Ashley. I will talk to you later. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And we now welcome on to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast as we do every week, Lance Riceland, to take a look back at uh, Sunday's game, a win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the first name that jumps out to me in your text, Lance, is Martin Emerson Jr., uh, the rookie who said on Monday that he did not allow a, allow a catch on any of the seven targets that came his way. Uh, Mike Evans was held to two catches on nine targets. Um Martin Emerson was responsible for seven of those, a really physical matchup for Emerson and he was up to the task. And that was really encouraging to see. Yeah. You know, I was really impressed with, 
when he came out, he was always very physical out of Mississippi State, and he did a lot of really, really good things. His small area quickness, some of the things that, uh, you know, were kind of a, a negative of him coming out um, because of his size and his length, he's very good, and he's super competitive. Uh, I thought as a whole the defense played better, led by, by him, uh, but he kind of brings that edge. He kind of plays with emotion. I thought DOK played uh, really, really well aggressive. Uh, and after that first drive, the and I constantly watched those defensive tackles, they played a lot better in terms of taking on doubles and being competitive in there. Um, so, yeah, I was very led by Emerson. But, yeah, he's very impressive in terms of being able to compete uh, with the top-level guys. But what is it about about him besides that physicality and, and besides that length that makes him so good? Well, you know, he's been attacked a lot this year, especially early on. People go after him. So he's got a short memory, which is huge at the NFL level for those uh, those DBs. Um, but yeah, but his he runs better than I thought in terms of straight line speed. He changes direction very well. Uh, he's got great um, spatial awareness. He knows where he's at all the time. Uh, he seems to understand coverage. I think his best his best quality is he's competitive. He has no problem taking on the best guy, uh, running his mouth and getting after it. I like it. I like. I think he does a great job. So you mentioned the defensive line and and those defensive tackles, which has been sort of a talking point here on these segments. So you thought they were better on Sunday than, than what you've seen? Yeah, I thought the whole defense, the front seven, I thought they all came forward, kind of what uh, teams have been doing to the Browns. I thought they did a really good job of just playing forward and not reading reading so much, but just kind of getting to their gaps. And uh, I watched those those defensive tackles that were in. Uh, the first drive, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, here we go again, because they just got doubled into the ground. Uh, but then they played really, really well. They fought those doubles really well. And what it did is allow those linebackers to run free. Uh, a lot of times it's not really making the play, but it's allowing um, the linebackers because you're taking both of those double team guys. So I thought they did a great job. I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised in terms of how they did in the, in, from the first drive on. Now, Miles Garrett, uh, you know, when you mentioned that defensive front, he had a dominant performance on Sunday. It was one of those games where it got late. You know, he got banged up on on his shoulder, was in a lot of pain, but he came up with multiple big plays late in that game. There was uh, two. He was part of two sacks on Tom Brady. He drew a hands to the face penalty. He hit Brady on another play. You know, we we don't talk about Miles a ton on this in this segment because it's Miles Garrett and it's like he's so good. But this was one of those reminders that Miles Garrett is a really special player and, and he can take over a game late like that. Well, I think what Tampa Bay does too really, really well is that they try to get rid of the ball so well and they rely on Tom Brady getting rid of it. So they don't have to help as much on most of the most of the defensive ends in, in the league. Uh, but with Miles, if you don't help on him, he's going to dominate the game. He ha- He's a uh, stealing your term from a number of weeks ago. He's a game record. And he constantly, if you don't attend to him with chips and doubles uh, and making sure that he's accounted for on every play, run and pass, uh, he's going to wreck the game, and that's what he did. He ends up if you don't chip on him and, and give him uh, give that tackle help, he's going to ruin the game for the offense. Okay, let's talk about Jacoby Brissett, who of course moves into the backup role now. But they send him off with a win. He makes the big throw uh, to David Njoku, who makes a spectacular catch. Uh, what did you think of Jacoby's performance on Sunday, and then just really what he gave this team over the first eleven games? Well, I think he gave you um, professionalism for sure in terms of how he handled himself on the field and off the field, which was huge for the Browns in terms of finding leadership and trying to get through this the first 11 games. They seem to really struggle, uh, especially when things are going bad. Um, I thought his play was fantastic. I think um, I think everybody knows that he has a ceiling 
um, in terms of what he can do and can't do. But I think he reached that ceiling and I think he stayed there. And I've said that in the past. It's hard to do that. It's hard to play at your best um, week in and week out. And that tells you that he prepares during the week. That tells you that he's a great teammate. Um, he says all the right things. Um, when things are going wrong, it's his fault. When things are going right, it's the team's, you know, it's because of the team. Uh, and that's the nature of playing quarterback. So I, I have, um, I think he's a great teammate. I thought he played as good as he can play. And uh, he was not the issue. Um, he's not the reason they're four and seven, which many may, may have thought with a poor record that it was because of quarterback play. It was not at all. He, he played very well. Now, with Jacoby, too, the other thing is he's going to remain a really valuable resource on this team with, with his mm-hmm. professionalism, his what he knows about the game. I really think that even though he's not starting, he's he's going to show like why it's so important to just have a, a veteran backup who's been there, who knows what he's seeing, who could almost be like another coach uh, in the meeting rooms and on the practice field. Well, yeah, you're going to get the you're going to get a, a veteran set of eyes in terms of coverages and fronts and what you see. Uh, so when you get him, when you get a, when you see him over on the sideline looking at those tablets, he is exactly right. He's going to be getting coached up. Um, Watson's going to be getting coached up because he hasn't played a lot. Um, he hasn't seen uh, coverages and what teams are trying to do uh, with Nick Chubb in the box and what they're trying to do with coverage to roll it to uh, Amari Cooper and uh, how uh, Donovan Peoples Jones runs his routes and things like that. So he hasn't done those things in a game setting. So he's going to have to rely on Percet a lot in terms of how the game is going to be managed. Okay, let's talk about the run game. Uh, Nick Chubb had a great game on on Sunday. You mentioned that commitment to Chubb. Um, I, I guess what what did you see from the Browns in the run game? And th- this was kind of a much needed bounce back for that run game and for Nick. Well, I just kind of it felt like they were giving him the ball, and you know he's still you know he got his twenty to twenty five carries. I always want him over twenty five. I think he's that good and he's that tough. But it felt like they were giving it to him, you know, on third downs in the red zone, uh, end of game, end of half. Um, it just felt like they were finding ways to get him the ball. And it's kind of one of those things, uh, again, it's different because the Browns run the ball, but it's, all right, Chubb's going to get it, so we're going to have to block because he's getting it. And I just felt like they did a great job of um, – they really liked the pin and pull series uh, this week uh, against Tampa Bay for whatever reason, whatever scheme, whatever, you know, scouting reports told him. But I just felt like he was involved. He was involved at the end of the game. Um and he was the focal point of them trying to move the ball down the field. I think your best player has to be the focal point. Uh, now, Kareem Hunt, um, you know, got a little bit of time, but he continues to be sort of a mystery on on this year's on this edition of the Browns. Um, just hasn't really had a consistent role. Of course, we all know about the trade requests and, uh, you know, him kind of wanting out during training camp. Do you see a role for, for Kareem moving forward? Well, when we talk about the ceiling for – Brissett, one of the th- one of the limitations he has is he's not going to improvise a ton. He's not going to make those uh, off platform throws and those uh, you know those ability to make plays out of nothing. Uh, but I think when Watson gets in there, he does a lot of moving around. He improvises. He extends plays. So I think that that type of offense might help him a little bit in terms of getting involved. Uh, I still think they need. I would still like to see them on the field a little bit more together. Him and and Chubb. Um, but no, he has not been able to find a role. And it's kind of like he's the backup, but you know, the way they throw the ball, even with Brissett, they threw the ball so much, how much, if you're not going to get involved in the pass game, how much is he going to be involved now that Watson's back? Because when you run the ball, you're going to run it with Chubb now. And uh, you, you'd assume that even Chubb's carries are going to go down a little bit. Uh, so what's that do in terms of where Hunt's going to be, uh, you know, where's he going to find his role? 
So you you mentioned Chubb and, you know, we'll get into Watson a little more later this week, but I, I actually think with him coming back, you know, we've talked about his, what he can do for the passing game, but I think his presence is going to help the run game a ton too. Just that teams aren't going to be able to stack the box. They're going to do a little more read option. Uh, it's, it's just going to look different. And I think, you know, the Browns actually might end up getting a little more bang for their buck out of Nick Chubb, if that's even possible. Oh, I agree. Yeah. The first thing that happens is that the box immediately gets lightened. Um, it might not be right away. Um, the teams might want to see uh, Deshaun Watson uh, get going here, but the bottom line is the box is not going to be that heavy. You're going to have to play um, at some point in time, the Browns are going to force teams to be in two high hats and two high hats means six in the box. And uh, you know, you're kind of, it's kind of a, a dream scenario and those dream scenarios don't always work out, but uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to move that safety down and place, you know, seven in the box and have Watson beat you? Or are you going to play two high hats and have the Browns run it down your throat? Um, it's kind of the dream scenario. I think it's kind of what the offensive uh, staff has been waiting for. Um, because then now you also get those off platform throws, you get those extended plays, you get those that improvised, you know, improvised plays. So it's going to be interesting moving forward. Um, I think it's going to, you know, people think cares go. I think actually, actually I'm with you. I think it's going to help Chubb and I think it's going to help Hunt get involved. Okay, there we go. Lance Rison looking back on the win over the Bucks, the Browns now at four and seven with Deshaun Watson returning on Sunday. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Just make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And also check out Football Insider, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You heard from Mary Kay and Ashley earlier. Like I said, this was Lance. Lance, I will talk to you later. Thanks for the time. As always, thanks for having me.